Welcome to episode 116 of Auto Off Topic. What's up, Brad? What's going on, Andrew? Do you remember how to do this? Do we press record? Yes, we did. Is there a card in the in the machine? There sure is. We're recording for good. Yep. Uh, yeah, it's been a couple weeks. We took a break for Thanksgiving. It was a busy November for both of us. Then I was super sick the next week after Thanksgiving break. Mm-hmm. So you definitely didn't want to listen to me. Well, you went away for Thanksgiving. So you had the typical uh, travel sickness when you came back. Yep. And then you were wrapping up with some moving. So I was helping out with that last week. Yep. So we just were like, ah, we'll just push it off. So we apologize that it's been a couple weeks. Yes. However, everything is done now except for the last holiday, which will be Christmas, obviously. And then we'll back into normal uh, weekly schedule, I think. Yep, but we won't miss because Christmas is on a Tuesday. Yes, we record on a Wednesday night for a Thursday. That's right. Pretty good. All right. And I also live five minutes down the street from you now instead of 35 minutes down the street. So, be even easier for me. So, in the last three weeks, there's been some Project Car updates and down dates. Yes, both ways. Uh, last episode, uh, which, again, was three weeks earlier... Then when we're recording this one... It was the week before Thanksgiving. Of 2018. Of 2018, for people listening to this in the future. For <laughs> archaeologists listening to this in 3042. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, we've talked about the Montero front caliper locked up. Well, I replaced it, and it worked great. It did. Car stopped like a brand new car. Uh, it. We have had like the record rainiest October, November... Like in a long time. Just a ton of moisture. Portland gets all the credit for being like gloomy and depressing and wet all the time. We just kind of hang out here in the northeast corner at pretty much the same latitude and just drown in silence. Like I People don't know about how wet it is here. It's been a very damp fall, and it was actually a pretty damp and humid summer. Yeah, it's been not good for a while. My Again, welcome to weather with Auto Off Topic. <laughs> You you brought it up. My personal, you, you 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 definitely just said it's been the wettest on record. Okay, but I was getting to my point about cars. It's related, of course. I I think that all of my brake issues is because it's been so goddamn humid. It could be, like especially because the car's not the Montero doesn't get parked on pavement. It gets parked on like a P stone, like gravel yep. driveway. And the DBX one is not being driven is also parked on like yeah. mud that I need to cover with. Gravel, at least. Right, so it stays damp under the car. Um, <laughs> so the uh, rear calipers have started to lock up on the Montero. Yes. It was fine. I went away. I came back that Saturday because I had purchased a new U-frame to replace the rotted U-frame on the DeBarrex, but mm-hmm. the seller was in New Jersey. I needed to go pick it up. So I was like, I'm going to go down and pick it up because, oh, yeah, there's another event that I've got to put on here, and we'll get to that because you were away in Vermont that Saturday. I was. So let's go with this story for now. So I'm driving and I get on the highway and the thing is vibrating and it feels like it's dragging. And I'm like, did that front brake caliper lock up again? Like, does it need rubber hoses or something? Or it was super cold out and the fluid was kind of rusty when I did it and I hadn't had a chance to flush it yet. Maybe it froze because it was like zero degrees out. So I was like, ah. So I went home, parked it. And played video games for us today because I was super annoyed. Yes. So fast forward, the truck sat for like a week. Um, drove it again. 
it started to get worse. Then finally, looking at the driver's side rear wheel, it's, um, well, before we did that, or before I found that out, my dad and I did flush all the brake fluid out and got it to be nice and clean, used his power bleeder. Still was doing it, so clearly that wasn't it. We even took a sample of the brake fluid and put it in the freezer. It didn't freeze. So, did you do that? Yeah. That's funny. I was curious. to see how much water was Yeah, there. I was curious. Okay. I mean, it was it was definitely brown and rusty, and, and like, it, it needed to be changed. And, like, I feel like even car enthusiasts sometimes forget about their brake fluid. Not a question. You don't see it. Like, it needs I, to be changed every couple years. I don't years. think that they forget about it so much as the fact that it's not really a known thing to a lot of uh, casual car enthusiasts. They even need to change the brake fluid, I think. Every, like, two to three years, you have to change it. Yeah. Especially with cars that sit. Mm-hmm. Even though they sit in storage over the winter, it will still just absorb moisture especially, from the space that they're yeah, in. Especially in a damp climate. Um, and then it gets ruined. And it'll cause, you'll have internal issues with your calipers that'll lock up. Won't cause the pins to lock up because there's no fluid running through those, yeah. but your pistons might lock That's up. That's the salt job. Yeah. The salt locks <laughs> the pins up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, where was I with that? So, yeah. So, I drove it again. It was still doing it. The... Driver's side rear caliper, the wheel, is way has way more brake dust than the other ones. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of feel it now that I realize where it's coming from. It's, it's like vibrating through the chassis and up through the axle. So it's it's that one. So okay. I've got new pads and rotors and calipers to do the rear. Right. So if you're keeping track. That's 95% of all your brakes have now been replaced. Oh, no, all of them. No, the rear brakes and the WRX haven't been done. I haven't done them yet. Right. It does need them. So that's what I'm saying. Ninety five percent of all your brakes have been changed. I, I don't know if those calipers are seized. I don't think they are. No, the wheel's usually pretty clean. They seem to be unless they're op- seized open. <laughs> they seem to be operating properly. They're just worn out. Mm-hmm. So that's next. Uh, after I do the Montero brakes, I'll do the uh, Subaru rear brakes, and then that is all four of my cars. I think it's glamorous only four cars, but let's tell you the truth. I hope. I'm good for a while with brakes. Yeah, I think you will be. Until you have to help me with my brakes, but that's a... I feel like you said, I think I'm good for a while with brakes on a previous episode. I did. And I probably responded with, except when you help me with my brakes. So let's hope that we're now getting through it. I mean... Because we're getting to the point now where we're going to start recommissioning my vehicles that have been sitting for years. Now that I'm all like, house is sold, moved out, 100%. Like, now I got nothing but time. I mean, knock on wood, if Stephanie's cross-check needs brakes, those are in a warranty. I would hope it doesn't. It's a year old. <laughs> exactly. Um, man, so, yeah, that's kind of a bummer, but it's getting done. Yep. Now, as far as the WRX goes, there was progress made on it. Yep, a lot of progress. A ton it of progress. brand new in the bottom now. So that, if you've been following our Instagram, I had some videos of the rotted engine support crossmember where the sway bar mounts. I mean, completely rotted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like junk. Engine was not going to fall out, but the sway bar was just basically not connected on one side. Um, so to get that down, you have to pull what they call the U-frame, which runs from the bottom of the radio support back to the frame rails of the car. Mm-hmm. And basically, I think it might only be on U.S. cars. It might be on foreign market cars, but it's basically for crash, front-end crash worthiness. And it does kind of tie the front of the car together. Yeah, we noticed how much it tied the front of the car together, putting it back together. Yeah, so 
a bunch of people that run them as rally cars are like, oh, just take them out. I'm like, yeah, well, I do street drive the car all the time, so having that extra crash protection would be nice. Yeah. And it makes it easy to get an off-the-shelf skid plate to just bolt up there because they're drilled for those mounting holes that are in the thing. That's what they're supposed to attach to. Yeah, because they just go in place of the factory plastic splash shield. And the oil pan was also rotted. So you kind of have to lift up the engine anyways, anyways, to do the oil pan. And to get the engine support cross member out, you have to drop this U-frame. So I worked on getting that out, managed to get all of the bolts, all the ones that came out of the body without breaking them, which was sweet. Took a lot of... Uh, Finesse. Deep, yeah, deep creep, and you do the crank the bolt in, crank the bolt out, crank the bolt in, crank the bolt out. Like For those not in the know, deep creep is Seafoam's version of PB Blaster. Um, it comes, That is the uh, Auto Off Topic approved rust pen. Yeah, we like right it now. better now than PB Blaster. I was on the... Uh, uh, the CRC was the Power Lube. Power I was on lube, that train yep. for a while, uh, but... You got a power loop train? Yep. All right. Excellent. Glad <laughs> deep, to hear it, Andrew. <laughs> deep creep is uh, the approved method. So we got that thing out. I actually ended up ripping it, like, tore as it came off of one of them. So one of them stuck in there, but I was able mm-hmm. to get it out, one of the bolts. And then once the engine was supported and up and out of the way, the U-frame came right out. Actually, pulled the... S- Steering box. Steering box. Steering the, box. This, yeah. this is a 1985 yeah. WRX, apparently. Pulled the steering rack out. Uh, that came out just fine. The lower control arms, which are steel on the WRX. Are rusty, too. Were all rusty. There was actually a recall on them. And the previous owner had purchased the upgraded STI aluminum arms that you can swap into a WRX. Mm-hmm. That came assembled with new ball joints, which was sweet. Because yep. it turned out one of these ball joints was actually on its way out. So that got those got bolted in. I had all new hardware. Uh, they apparently add a little bit of caster. Oh, did friend. they? Yeah, That's interesting. which is pretty cool. The uh, yeah, basically everything just went back in perfect. Yeah, tried our best to line up the. I marked the steering shaft where I separated it, and we did line it back up, but the steering wheel's off, so it's going to need alignment. But well, as we figured out last time, you gave it an alignment. That subframe was probably pretty rotted. Probably. So we put the new solid subframe in there, and it moved everything just enough. Yeah. Tightened it back up. Yeah. Plus, the new control arms might have put stuff in a different position if they had added caster. So it's just, it's like the steering wheel's not centered anymore. It's still straight, but it's not. Like, this car goes straight, but the steering wheel's just off kilter. Yeah. So. I'll have it aligned this week. No big deal. Nope. It's actually better off to, I don't know when the last time it was aligned, actually, so to have it checked out. It was aligned when you put tires on it, wasn't it? No. No? I thought it was. Nope. It was driving straight, so I haven't had it aligned. Hmm. Anyway, um, the other thing we should probably mention is that U-frame to put it back in. Mm-hmm. This is how we realized how much of the front car is probably tied together by that U-frame. Yeah. Um, because when we went to just, we had the car supported by uh, jack stands and the pinch welds. So the front end was off the ground and there were no wheels on it. Yeah, so when I took the U-frame off, I had the car sitting on the roll-up lift on the wheels and tires. Because mm-hmm. it was easier to crank on those bolts without the car moving around. And then we didn't think of it when we went to put it back in. We had the wheels off the car in the air. Yep. And it was kind of twisted. Yeah, the U-frame didn't line up. The holes yeah. didn't line up. And this is used at all. U-frame, so... It could have been twisted in the old car. Yeah. But it made a remarkable difference when we put the wheels back in the car and put it down on the ground as far as lining the holes up. Yeah. So it definitely ties the front of the car together and holds it in place when the car 
flexes over bumps. Yeah. So I would recommend running it. Yeah. Not only for the crashworthiness, but also, I mean, every degree. It's definitely of, a brace. Every, every bit of <laughs> stiffness in the car is is good for handling. So. I mean, in the repair manual, it does note that the STI one has an extra set of bolts in it to tie it in. Oh, does it really? To make yeah. it stronger? Yeah. So the... I took that used one, so we had to go the next day, Sunday. We drove to New Jersey, got it. Uh, figured out something with your truck. It's slightly embarrassing. You weren't supposed to bring it up on air. Hey, we make mistakes. Yeah. Someone went without an air filter for a long time. Not without an air filter. <laughs> I had an air filter. Oh, without changing an air yeah. filter for a long time. So in my defense, the GM diesel pickup trucks have a filter minder on the airbox, which has a green, yellow, red, you know, indicator for how your air filter is. So every time I opened the hood to check the oil, I would check the filter indicator. And it was always in the green, so I just didn't think anything of it. Obviously, now that I think about it, and in common sense brain, this makes sense, the filter miner is not going to tell you what's going on unless the truck is running. Because obviously it pulls a vacuum on that little gauge through the air filter. So I went about 20,000 miles without even looking at the air filter, and I started getting really poor gas mileage, or fuel mileage because of diesel, uh, and then the reason that Andrew had even taken his Montero, or attempted to take it to New Jersey to pick up that U-frame, was because I had gone to Vermont that same day and was doing an off-road trip. On the way up there, I was climbing a lot of hills, you know, very mountainous state, and it was having a hard time climbing hills, which it shouldn't be, because A, it's a V8 diesel, and B, it's a turbo diesel, so it should be just fine climbing hills like it always has been, and it struggled a lot. So when we did take the truck to New Jersey the next day, when we got to New Jersey, it's like, man, I got about 10 or 11 miles per gallon, and it didn't feel right, and it didn't sound right, and some kind of bulb went off in my head, and I was like, I bet I need an air filter. And we opened it up. We stopped and bought a new air filter at just an advanced auto parts down there in New Jersey. Got back to the truck, opened it up, and uh, lo and behold, I had a very black air filter. Like, it was a K&N also. Somebody had upgraded it, but it was so dirty that it just didn't do anything anymore. It was just a, it was an air block versus mm-hmm. an air filter. So, put the new air filter in, fuel mileage is back up where it belongs, the truck seems to be running great, and I have no issues anymore. So... Perfect. Now i got to clean that K&N and put it back in yeah. <laughs> next time I do another change. Uh, so to finish up with the WRX, that U-frame we got in New Jersey had very little rust on it. I just kind of wire-wheeled it, put some POR on it, covered it with uh, epoxy paint, sprayed undercoat paint on it, then sprayed the inside of it with fluid film, mm-hmm. and bolted it in the car, and then... Sprayed a bunch of other stuff under the car with fluid film. We ripped all the paint off with pry bars, trying to line it back up, so now it's not protected anymore. <laughs> I, I, I coated them back up. Okay, good. The uh, I hadn't used fluid film before. We'd used the New Hampshire oil undercoating, but fluid film is like the DOI version of it. You right. buy the cans of it. Yep. And it's like vegetable oil based. It actually smells really good. Yeah, it smells like we were baking something in the garage. Um, and it's like... You spray it, and it's not... It's, like, runny at first, and then solidifies and just sticks. Right. And it's still... And, it like, never dries. And it's kind of waxy, oily. So it's probably going to get filled with dirt, but it's also water-repellent. So it should keep 
the majority of that from Rust. We had a conversation about this earlier today. Yeah. Now that you have undercoated or fluid film the bottom of the car, yeah. do you avoid undercarriage spray in a car wash during the wintertime? I took the same advice you told me with the oil undercoating. I did not, right. when I had it done on the 89 Montero, I did not do the undercar wash during the winter. I would Until only springtime. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, because you, you want to keep it on there as long as possible. Right. And it's not water-soluble, but still a direct like pressure. Eventually, from... if you were cleaning it with soap and water, it would start to come off. Yeah. So, yeah, you want to leave it alone. But I sprayed it up in there, and it... It, that's the other thing too. Once it starts to like, you run the engine, you're driving the car, and that heat transfers through some of those body panels, it'll warm up and kind of flow places too. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's it's pretty neat. I I definitely I bought like a gallon container of it and a spray gun to go in the air compressor a while ago, intending to do the '89 Montero, but we did it the other way instead. Right. I will do the '99 Montero, but I'll do it in the yard on like a set of ramps because it does kind of doesn't go like go everywhere in the air, but you don't want to make like a mess inside. And once once it hits a surface, it pretty much stays there. It doesn't yeah. like, run down and drip. And and like it's not like paint where if you get it somewhere you don't want it, it's gonna ruin it. You, no, just, you can wipe it right off. You just wipe it off with a rag. So it's pretty cool. Uh, I'll definitely put it on the other stuff to help preserve it. So and uh, oh, I got a great Black Friday deal on a twenty four millimeter white line sway bar. So I put yep. that in the front of the car. Along with the... Uh... Yeah, the car came with Carboy N-Links that were right. brand new. So that's pretty cool. It's going to handle a lot better. Let's get those snow tires off there. Yeah. <laughs> They're kind of squishy and narrow, but whatever. It's wintertime. Um... Oh, it's cool. You did a lot of prep work for that car. And I remember, I think we discussed on air, we were unsure if you were even going to fix the car or not. So I'm glad you did, because at the end of the day, it wasn't a huge amount of work. It was... The amount of rust worried me. I was just imagining bolts breaking off in the body. Right. And just being this total nightmare. Um, But it turns out, like, the bolts that come down to hold the engine support, K-member, cross-member, whatever you want to call it, Mm -hmm. are U-bolts that basically slide through the frame that are replaceable. Right. So even if they broke, you could pop them out. So it was, it was actually kind of a neat little modular system. You can see where why all these Subarus get swapped around because basically the underpinnings have been the same for years. For years and years and years. So. But it is kind of neat because we could probably get a good deal on a New England car that has a rotted subframe and now that we know how to change it, wouldn't be a big deal to do it. Yeah. Yeah, and I just put used stuff in it. I mean, well, the hardware was new, but as far as the subframes and U-frames, they're all used. Yeah, just bought used parts for a not rusty car. Mm-hmm. Obviously not New England cars their whole lives. But it worked out. And you look out of the car now, and it looks, I mean, pretty brand new. So it's mm-hmm. pretty good. Um, All right. So I think that's it for Project Car Updates. And uh, I moved all my all my cars. All right. So, I mean, it's not really a Project Car Update, but, I mean, when one sells a house, the vehicles that are stored at said house generally have to go as well. Mm-hmm. So I did move everything to... A new home um, to sit and lay dormant for another in undetermined amount of time. No, you're going to work on them more now. <laughs> yeah, I think so. They'll be right where you are so you can work on them. It was slightly annoying because the 1980 Dodge Colt, the brown front-wheel drive car. It got worse. Uh, it got a lot worse. Um, it was in park, obviously, because it was parked. And I went to put it in drive, and the shifter wasn't moving very smoothly. 
and then all of a sudden it was moving very smoothly. And we were so I put the car into neutral, I thought, and we were trying to push the car backwards out of the spot that it was stuck in. Um, because it wasn't running, we were going to jump start it in the street. So we realized that as we were pushing it back, the front wheels weren't rolling. So it wasn't in either wasn't in neutral or the brakes are frozen, which, as you know from this podcast lately, we immediately thought the brakes were frozen. Not my car. Yeah. <laughs> Related to your cars, so it's fine. Nope. Um, but it turns out that the reason that the shifter assembly was moving tough and then moved easily was because the cable had frozen. And when I pulled back on it, I actually broke the shifter cable. So the shifter wasn't actually moving the selector and the transmission, so the car was still actually in park. So that's not uh, not ideal, obviously. So I had, to, I had to wind up having it towed versus getting it running and driving it. We did get it running. Car fired up and idled no problem at all. I mean, I had a little skip at first, but it smoothed out. I mean, in reality, the car has been sitting there for... It must be going on two years. Yep. I mean, I didn't park it broken. I just parked it not driving. You know, mm-hmm. I just stopped driving it for whatever reason at the time. And then life got in the way, and the car just sat. Mm-hmm. So, unfortunately, I also went to put my foot on the brake, and the brake pedal went right to the floor. So, mm. we got to figure out what's going on with that car exactly. That's a New England car. It's got some rust. Um, so, the determ- determination needs to be made whether it's worth our time to put the car back together and use it, or just to move on with it, and maybe, I hate sending cars to the junkyard, but at some point in a car's life, there's a a time when it's not useful anymore. That was an $800 car, wasn't it? It was, but it's not the price of the car. I mean, no, $800 is most of my cars, and it's more the, I don't know, it's just cool that this 1980 Dodge Colt still exists and can still be driven. So, and if it can't, then it can't, and... I will sadly part with the car and move on. Not, mm-hmm. but I, I don't want to, obviously, but it is what it is. All right. New England life. <laughs> and the car's been a New England car its whole life, so it's not like it's not like I took a perfectly pristine, you know, Southern California car and ruined it in New England. It's, mm-hmm. It was bought from, you know, an estate sale in New England where it was bought brand new in New Hampshire. So mm-hmm. it's had a rough 65,000 miles. Yep. So, while I was on uh, Thanksgiving break, I was in the Oklahoma, Amarillo, Texas area. Mm -hmm. So, Stephanie and I stopped into the Cadillac Ranch, which you probably saw pictures of us. Pictures of it on our Instagram page. Uh, It's like a super weird thing. It's just four Cadillacs buried in the ground, right? Oh, it's more than that. Oh, is it? How many is it? Uh, oh, that's a good question, actually. Is it just that one section of them, or are there more? No, the insta- Okay, so here it is. So, Cadillac Ranch is a public art installation. It sounds like a whorehouse. Yep. Yeah, it does, right? <laughs> so, it was created in 1974 by Chip Lord, Hudson Marquis, and Doug Michaels, part of the art group Ant Farm. Okay. So, they- oh, so the installation half-buried 10 Cadillacs. Okay. 1949 to 1963. Um, I didn't realize there was a 49 Cadillac. Anymore. Yeah. That's kind of a shame. Well... It was done in 1974. It was still, so it was still a 30-year-old car. Uh, cars were either older running, used, or junk cars. So maybe it was smashed in the nose. Yeah, maybe. So basically the idea was that it would span the successive generations of the car, uh, tail fins. Oh, okay. That was the whole point of it. So why did they start from... Well, I guess 48 had the little tiny tail fins. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, and it's just like this thing in the middle of this, uh, like cornfield in like right off I-40. So you can just stop. There's like a frontage road. You can get off the highway. You can park. And there's like this little gate. It's unlocked. You go through the gate and they let you walk in and you're encouraged to graffiti the cars. Which is interesting. Yeah. So you just bring spray paint, graffiti them, and like the layers of paint on these cars, like inches of spray paint. It's crazy. But they're all just kind of like brightly colored graffiti and every now and then they'll paint over them again and, and you'll get a blank canvas. But And I uh, I stuck one of our stickers on them. Hopefully up high enough where it's kind of hard for somebody to tag over right well, I mean, away. These things are tagged pretty high. so They are, but, you know. I didn't realize it was. It's on there. The location, it's not the original location of it either. Nope. It was moved. It was like closer to downtown, I guess, that was moved outwards because the city was expanding a little bit. Yeah, that's kind of cool. They moved it in '97. There's a bunch of music videos that were filmed there over the years. Uh, apparently, they uh, they reference it in uh, the original Cars movie. Yep. But as a mountain range. So then the mountain range from the movie is. They built a like a real life version of it at Disneyland. Oh, really? So it's like life imitates art. Art, you know, like I don't know, it's like a weird thing, right? Um, art imitates life, imitates art. Yeah. But it's a, it was like just a weird, strange thing to see. It was kind of cool. So if you're driving along I forty, out to California. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna stop here. Yeah, I check it out. It's funny, I'm looking at pictures from 1974 when they first buried the cars. They were complete. Were they? They had taillights, glass, everything. Tires, hubcaps. Hmm. I mean, obviously they're no longer that. But I was just looking at this picture, and I'll show it over to you right here. Look at that 48 Cadillac. It's actually pretty pristine. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That was in 74. Weird. But now, obviously, it's just a shell of a car because of the factors of weather and humans. Yeah. I don't know, it's just a cool thing. Like, they just exist now, so... Oh, it's very neat. I just... I, I still... Tangentially related car thing to do while on vacation, so... Yeah. But that's all it's I have. It's not tangentially related. It's definitely a car thing. Yeah. There's no question it's a car thing. Anything else? For, uh... Oh, why don't you talk about... I went to Radwood. Well, oh. before we get to Radwood and the Hoonigan Toy Drive... Okay. So that weekend of Thanksgiving, you went to Vermont with Eric Carhalis? I did. We had a Northeast Mitsubishi um, off-road meetup scheduled, Mm -hmm. uh, which turned into, unfortunately, because of the holiday schedule and people's work schedules, and it didn't quite work out the way it was supposed to, so it turned into a me and former guest Eric Carhalis doing a, just the two of us with a couple of trucks up in Vermont in the woods. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, we did some, you know, exploring and trail finding, found a good, few good trails. Um, What's that quarry? And we wound up in the abandoned quarry in, ooh, now it's been three weeks. I forget what, what part of Vermont it was. Here, I'll keep talking about it. I'll yeah. Google it. So it was interesting because it was early on in the winter season, but it was very cold in Vermont. It had already snowed and had melted and then refrozen. So within, I would say, 400 feet of going off-road, I immediately got stuck. 
<laughs> because we were climbing an off-road hill, uh, and it was basically where your tires could go was sheer ice. Um, and I don't have, you know, studded tires or anything. Uh, I do have locking diffs in the truck, but no studded tires. Um, Dorset Caves. Yes, that's it. The Dorset. Dorset, Vermont. Yeah. It's old quarry. It's, it's very well known in the New England area to go exploring there. Yeah, it's a very neat um, place to explore. I mean, I, I'd like to go back in the in the summertime, but regardless, we'll get to that in a second. Um, when climbing the first hill, I got stuck. And the problem was, is we didn't want to go back down the hill because it was like a twisty, turny downhill and it was all frozen. Yep. So it was like we had to press on and get to the top of the hill to get out the woods on the other side because we were nervous to go down the hill with the ice. Um, wound up getting creative with uh, max tracks and shovels and taking a new line up the hill that involved putting two wheels probably about three and a half feet up on a berm. On the left side, and putting the right side of the truck, kind of in the middle of the of the path, to try to find traction, and manage to make it up the hill. Mm-hmm. Problem was, every failed attempt, the truck wound up sliding down the embankment, and putting all four tires on icy paths down a, I don't know, twenty five percent grade. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe not twenty five percent, but it was a pretty serious grade. Um, and then the truck would accelerate backwards down the hill with all four wheels locked up to speeds that were too fast mm-hmm. and out of control. So I'd have to try to pump the brakes and get the truck off to the side somehow while going backwards with zero control and trees on both sides. It was a nerve wracking 30 minutes of being stuck. Mm-hmm. It was not fun. We finally got the truck cause it would, it would just, you know, it's 7,000 pounds of truck going down a hill on ice. Mm-hmm. I, it was Completely frightening. I mean, I managed to not panic too much and not make too big of a scene, but when we finally did make it to the top of the hill, I was pretty much ready to pack it and go home. Mm-hmm. Um, thankfully, we did not, and we more wisely chose paths the rest of the <laughs> the rest of the day. We tried to pick paths that still had full snow cover, yeah, so they wouldn't have the melted, you know, runoff frozen lakes of or frozen downhill rivers of ice mm-hmm. uh, and and by sticking to you know full snowpack we had a pretty good rest of our day thankfully the trail up to the dorset caves was full snowpack and it was deep but it was it was really fun with my pickup truck and eric's raider we made it up there pretty much without any drama um off-roading in the snow is slightly less intimidating than on dirt and rocks because you can't see the rocks. Mm-hmm. So you don't know they're there until you hit them. So there's no nothing to get nervous about until you already hear a noise. Oh. <laughs> huh. So it was a little nerve-wracking, but we got it uh, I, I, we, we got a pretty good rhythm going. And, you know, as long as you pick your line, and, you know, thankfully I wasn't the first vehicle, and Eric's truck is pretty well lifted and pretty well protected on the underbody, I kind of followed his line, and if he fell into a big hole, I'd try to avoid that big hole. Mm. Um, but it is a little difficult to pick a line when there's, you know, four or five inches of snow on top of the trail because four or five inches of snow will hide a rock, you know, it's and hide a gully that's in front of you. That's 10 inches deep, you know? So, uh, so we made it to the Dorset caves, which is a, like I said, it's an abandoned quarry in Dorset, Vermont. Um, much like the Cadillac ranch, it has layers and layers and layers of spray paint inside of it, 
where it's all just been graffitied over the years. Um, I'd like to go back and explore in the spring or in the summertime. Yeah. Because the nature of a quarry, obviously it's dug into the side of a mountain. So moisture comes from the top of the mountain through the cracks in the rock and drips out the middle of the bottom. So the entire inside of the quarry was filled with these, you know, three to five foot tall icicles. Oh, fun. Right. And I didn't feel like getting impaled in the top of the head by exploring too far in. So we like we picked a few trails to kind of go around the icicles, but it was definitely not a settling thing, especially since the temperature was rising up to probably mid 40s. So things were starting to melt and break. <laughs> so like we wisely didn't explore too far because we didn't want to get trapped or impaled and killed by an icicle. So, but it was fun. It was a neat place. And if it's not too far off the road, the trail isn't a super technical trail. Um, but it's a neat destination to go up there, explore. You can hang out at the you know the cave there, and it's probably a good spot to stop and have lunch or just have a break. But it's a cool, uh, cool little spot. I definitely recommend trying to find it if you're in the Vermont area. Mm-hmm. So that was fun. Then of course, next day we drove to New Jersey. That was like blah, whatever. Correct. <clears throat> so that weekend I did how many miles was it to New Jersey? It was like six hundred miles around trip, I think, and plus the four hundred miles I did the day before. So it was a thousand mile weekend for me. Sure. Yeah, it was quite busy. All right, that brings us to events. Yeah, have you attended any events, Andrew? I have not. Nothing at all? No. I felt like there was something. Nope. Okay. You went to the Hoonigan Toy Drive in Long Beach? I did. So I flew out to Los Angeles um, because it was Radwood LA, the second Radwood LA, and Mm -hmm. it was at the Peterson. And that was a pretty cool combination, so I couldn't miss the event. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did fly out there, and uh, it happened to coincide that the same weekend was also the LA Auto Show, which I realized too late to go to the LA Auto Show, which mm-hmm. I probably would have. Um, well, they organized it that way on purpose. Probably. I'm sure I'm sure they did. Mm-hmm. I don't think the Hoonigan Toy Drive was on purpose, though. I think that just kind of happened. Well, they the Hoonigan <laughs> Toy Drive probably organized... Their thing, the I don't same think it reason was, for I the LA was, Auto Show. Probably maybe the LA Auto Show, possibly. Yeah. Because you end up with all of the auto journalists are in the area for the weekend. Yeah, that could be. So that's a good time to do events. But regardless, I went to the Hoonigan Toy Drive. Um, I've been to LA a bunch of times, um, and I've always wanted to get over to the Hoonigan uh, Donut Garage and just haven't had a chance to make it. It's actually in Long Beach, mm-hmm. but it's only, you know... 35 minutes from L.A. It's not far away at all. Two hours if there's a traffic jam. <laughs> Two hours on a Monday to Friday, but thankfully it was on a Saturday. So it wasn't too bad at all. Um, wicked cool place. I mean, you see it on the YouTubes, and you see everybody doing their donuts and all their stuff that happens in the parking lot there. And it looks small on camera. Mm-hmm. It is tiny. Really? Yeah. It looks so much smaller in person. And the fact that people do donuts on that dock... The, the loading dock mm-hmm. is not much wider than the length of a car parked on it. Like, mm. like if a car is parked on it, like, backed against the building, facing out to the loading dock, that's about how wide it is. Mm. So you don't have much room to do a donut. Mm. <laughs> so I can't imagine being in a car doing a donut on top of that dock and then down doing multiple figure eights and donuts 
on the pavement in between the dock and the containers that they have there. It's a very small space. So it makes it even more impressive what they do on the videos there without too much incidence. I mean, it's a few times where you see them tap the wall or whatever, but and it's kind of cool when you get there because all of their stuff they store in those containers. That's what they have the containers in the parking lot for, but the containers have like dings and dents from the few cars that have hit them, mm-hmm. and one's got like a big tear right through it. And then the bottom of all the containers is just covered in a quarter inch of black, thick, burnt rubber. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so just from all the cars going doing donuts there. Um, they had all the star cars there on the dock for display. Um, if you watch the Hoonigan video series, um, John Chase is the guy who does all the artwork for them. He has that 55 Chevy, mm-hmm. the gasser, that was up there. Uh, the owner of Hoonigan is you know, Brian Scotto, and he had his RWB Porsche up there and his black Nova, the flat black Nova. That's really neat. Um the mechanic whose name escapes me had the E36 drift car, which is a popular car, and then the other guy, Hurt, uh, had his FC RX7 drift car on the dock. Mm-hmm. So it was cool to see those cars in person. Um, you forget how janky drift cars really are in real life mm. because they get smashed a lot and kind of hacked back together. They look really good in beauty shots on TV and in pictures, but they're not really pretty cars in person. Nope. So Everything's yeah. just kind of tacked on. Yeah, that car is definitely, zip ties are a major structural component of a lot of drift cars. So Mm -hmm. that was pretty neat to see that. Um, Inside their little area, all their offices are inside an Airstream kind of trailer kind of thing, which is neat. Uh, But they have a wall inside the garage, which has like almost like mason jar sized like medical sample bottles. And then inside of all of them is, is rubber. And on the front, they have the label that says the date who did it and what kind of car they were from. Oh. And it's all displayed on a big wall around a Gymkhana, from one of the Gymkhana cars, a neon yellow wheel with a tire just, like, shredded off around it. So that's that's a cool display they have in there. Huh. Um, but it was it was, it was was all for a good cause. Um, it was a Toys for Tots, you know, toy drive benefiting their local YMCA and some other things that were there. Um, and those guys are all pretty big in the community there which they have to be in order to get away with doing donuts and burnouts and giant smoke shows in the middle of Long Beach. Um, so they're, they they give back to their community a lot, and that's what the whole event was for. And they raised a ton of money and got a ton of toys for the event. So that was really neat to see. Um, I highly recommend stopping by there if you get a chance. I think they're only technically open one day a week for guests. Oh, really? Yeah, I guess you can email them if you want to stop into the store and see what's going on. But huh. uh, as a rule, I think they're only open on Saturdays. So huh. it's a neat, it's a neat place. I mean, I like what they're doing. I like their videos. They're a lot of fun. They definitely don't take themselves seriously. And every one of the guys that I met was really down to earth and was just willing to talk to anybody. There wasn't any kind of pretension. There wasn't. It wasn't a big deal at all. So it was like they were like regular guys that were really appreciative of. The fact that people care to look into what they're doing. So that was, it was neat to see, because sometimes you meet somebody like that, and they can be kind of a jerk, but none of these guys were. They were all real good people. So, and they had a ton of sponsors that gave away all kinds of door prizes, and they had a, a raffle, like you could buy raffle tickets, and there were so many prizes that it took, like, an hour to go through all of them. That's cool. Yeah, so it was really neat. No, that sounds really fun. Everything from, like, a full KW you know, V3 suspension setup 
to a full set of fifteen fifty two wheels hmm. was available in this raffle, and you know, everything in between HPI RC cars and Hot Wheels cars and all kinds of cool stuff. Hmm. So it was definitely a it was definitely a neat trip. Cool. Yeah. So that was Saturday. That was Saturday. What did you do Sunday? Sunday was Radwood, which you've heard us talk about. Unfortunately, circumstances came up and you could not make it. Mm-hmm. But that's okay. We'll figure it. We'll fix it next time. Mm-hmm. Um, it was epic. I don't know what else to say about it. It was Radwood. It was Radwood LA. The first Radwood LA was the first Radwood we went to. Yeah. And uh, this didn't disappoint. It was right up there with the first one. Um, it was a little different because it was in a parking garage. Didn't have the same kind of cool setting the first one had. But well, it was at the Peterson. It was at the Peterson. It was. It was. The location was cool because it was the Peterson, but it wasn't really. It wasn't like there was free flowing between the show and the Peterson. You had to buy tickets to the Peterson. They were discounted for the day if yeah. you were part of Redwood. Yeah. Um, and I guess maybe if I was just attending the show and wasn't helping and volunteering, it might have been different because I could have gotten had time to go in the Peterson. But I kind of, by the end of the day, forgot I was at the Peterson. Uh huh. Because I spent so much time doing other things mm-hmm. that I'd never had a chance to go into the museum. <laughs> so I spent the entire day at the Peterson and never went inside. Hmm. So that kind of stunk. But that's not anybody's fault but my own. I probably could have made time if I wanted to, but I didn't. And I've seen the display that's there. I know that there are a few things that changed, um, but whatever. It is what it is. It was a great time. I don't besmirch anybody for that. That's entirely my fault. The show was great. Everybody that runs it is awesome. Everybody that was there was awesome. Um, and the cars were I feel another, like another level. Again, it just... It's just that Southern California car culture just lends itself to, to re- the Radwood show. Yeah, it does. Like, where, where not else? to, not to, you know, knock down like the Philly show because there a ton of people showed up yeah. and it was super cool. Yeah. But like, it's just it, it just fits. People in LA live Radwood. People in LA live Radwood every day. Yeah, it's not like a new. It's not a thing for them. You could walk to the store across the street and see somebody. Be like, we were playing this game all weekend. We'd see somebody. And we'd go, oh, Radwood or just L.A.? Yeah. And most of the time, it was just somebody in L.A. But this beautiful um, second-gen prelude rolled up to a stoplight right around the corner from the Peterson the morning of the show. And I was like, oh, Radwood or L.A.? And I was like, I bet Radwood. And he took a left away from the museum and drove away. And it was hard again. It was just hmm. some guy in a mint four-wheel steering prelude SI just happened to be driving by Radwood. Mm-hmm. Didn't even drop inside. So it's like it was a fun game to play, Radwood or just LA. Mm-hmm. So it was a lot of fun. You had like Acura showed up and Honda with a bunch of cool stuff. Uh, Honda did not have their own presence there. Uh, they lended or lent, lended. They lent their seven hundred mile Civic Si to a journalist. Yeah, but they sh- no, they showed up with their Honda, the Acura stuff. Right, Acura had a presence as a separate company from Honda. Okay. So, so I'm just I, you got to keep it separate because they keep it separate. Okay. It wasn't like Honda came out with cars from their collection. One of the cars from the Honda collection was there, but they lent it to an auto journalist, which I think is amazing that they would just let an auto journalist drive this 700 mile car from their museum to downtown LA for a car show. Hmm. That says a lot about the company and the trust they have in that particular auto journalist, hmm. <laughs> because this was a Electron Blue Pearl 99 Si, like the car that everybody wants 
with 748 mm-hmm. miles on it or mm-hmm. something stupid like that. And it was just there, accessible. You could look at it. You could be around it, be near it. Fun cars. Yeah, and beautiful car because it was so low miles. Mm-hmm. Um, Acura was there with a the full presence. They actually were one of the main event sponsors, I think, because they sponsored the posters for the first 1,000 mm-hmm. people to come through the door. Um, they were there with a similar mileage Integra Type R. Um, they also had one of, remember the Speed Vision World Challenge Series? Yeah. The real-time racing team had the white and orange Acura Integras. Yep. One of those cars was there, and they had a low-mileage NSX from the collection there. Uh, also, they brought out the two coolest things they brought out were uh, the TLX concept from 95 um, and the final design model for the Integra. But it was from 1991, but it was the 94 Integra. Hmm. So it was really neat to see, you know, three years earlier, production-ready mock-up was probably about a one-sixth scale, I guess, model of it that was just on a pedestal behind the cars. Hmm. And it was neat to see that, A, they held on to it for so long because it was just a design study, but it was the final one for that 94 Integra, which Hmm. was really cool to see. Um, Supercars, like... There was a Bugatti EB110. Mm-hmm. That uh, I kind of wanted to see. Yeah. Uh, three Lamborghini Countaches. Uh, three, because it's L.A. Um, a Vector W8, which I've never seen in person. That's mm-hmm. absolutely insane. Um, and then all of the <laughs> you know, more pedestrian cars that somehow have survived for 30 years. <laughs> that for 30 to 40 years that were there. Oldsmobile Intrigue. The 99 Intrigue that was... It wasn't even a low-mile car. It was just really well-preserved. Mm-hmm. And that car had a really neat story because it belonged to the kid who brought its grandfather who had passed away. Mm-hmm. And you had a picture of him buying it brand new and everything. And um, and then the people that were there. you know, Anybody who's anybody in the car scene in L.A. that you've heard of, yep. whether it be from YouTube or Instagram or whatever, was there. You know, you had Magnus Walker. You had the Hoonigan guys. You had Matt Farah. Mm-hmm. You had... You know, obviously the guys that run it from DWA are from Northern California. Um, I finally got to meet the man who saved the Sapporo. Yeah. Uh, Forrest Kugel. Yep. From Kugel Works. He does mm-hmm. a lot of BMW 2002 stuff. If you don't know him or you have a BMW 2002, definitely check out Kugel Works. Uh, he's got Instagram and everything. He does a lot of spoilers and stuff for it. Super cool guy. Super cool to talk to. He built all of the um, skateboard ramps for the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had a professional skateboarder whose name I always forget, and I apologize because uh, I don't know skateboarders. But he was a skateboarder from back in the original, you know, Flatland Tony Hawk days. Mm-hmm. So he's the same kind of level as that. He was there doing demonstrations, and they had him doing jumps over the, you know, Radwood 944. Um, uh, who else was there? Uh, L.A. car collector Bruce Meyer. He's one of like the most well-known car collectors in the area. He was there with a original CHP Fox Body Mustang. That's cool. Um, the Vector W8 that I said belonged to a guy who bought it brand new, which in 1989 was like $235,000. That's crazy. Absolutely insane. But like it probably flattened at like 50 k probably at one point, and then it I came back know. up. Yeah, it's, probably, it's, it's worth at least that now, I'm yeah. sure, especially being an original owner. One you know, one owner car like that is pretty pretty neat. Um, met some people that we that follow us. Um, 
Mitchell, Char- Charade, Charade Life. Yeah. Very nice guy. Very cool car. Very different car. As a guy who drives old Dodge Colts, I appreciate a Daihatsu Charade. Um, which actually, Daihatsu was a division of Toyota. Hmm. So it's a lot of Toyota parts in those cars. Hmm. Well, that's pretty neat. Um, I met another friend of the show, uh, Moises Castro, with his, technically it's a 78, but they made them until 80, so it fits the Radwood continuation. continuation. Uh, he brought that up from Arizona, which was neat. Uh, the Plymouth Arrow. It's modified in 80s style. It's very 80s style, and he totally killed it with original accessories that were all factory Mitsubishi. He had factory, like, actual Mitsubishi subwoofers. He had a Mitsubishi CB. He had, like, Mitsubishi headphones for for his CB. And then in his outfit, he had this, like, belt that was, uh, like, a boombox <laughs> that was a Mitsubishi product as well. <laughs> so he went full out, and it was really cool. But he's a giant Mitsubishi nerd like we are, so... But it was cool to, it was cool to finally meet him in person and see his car. So that was kind of neat. Um, there were two Mighty Maxes. One was a uh, Mighty Max 4x4 with the factory-style you know, roll bar in the bed and the pusher in the front and little little flat flares. And one was an extended cab two-wheel drive Ram 50 that was, like, brand new. Absolutely stunning truck, which, cool. I, want, which I wanted. So it was, a, it was a really cool show. It was a, definitely a cool show. And So what was your favorite car there? Uh, I mean, the Vector was cool. <laughs> but... All right, so your favorite supercar, Vector. Vector. What's yeah. your favorite normal car? Favorite normal car? Attainable classic. Ooh, that's tough. There's so many good cars. It's hard to pick one. Um, there were some non-attainable cars because there was a Lan- uh, Lancia Delta S4. I'd count that as a supercar. Oh, definitely. All right. Uh, and the Cosworth Escort. The Not really a supercar. But still kind of unattainable now. Um, I mean, the Ram... 50 was of course kind of my All thing. Right. non Mitsubishi based car <laughs> that you would drive ruining it for me here um think outside of the box here yeah it's pretty tough because all the good cars are Mitsubishis uh I can't even oh think come on now. there's other stuff there were a couple lemons cars that were there there was the BMW E30 that was turned into the Homer okay that was really neat and I'm not like I've probably mentioned it before that I'm not being from the Northeast, I don't like what happens to cars that become lemons cars because yeah. they get kind of destroyed. So I have different thoughts. Like I, I, I get lemons. I understand lemons. I like lemons. I just don't like what happens to cars. Well, is the uh, Ethan Tufts Hello Road, the Liam, Liam Le- Nissan? Liam Nissan was there. That was pretty neat. Um, I don't know. There were just a lot of cool cars. It's hard to pick one. I, I, there, was a, there was one. That's why I'm asking you. There was one Gen <laughs> 2.5 Montero that was really clean. Okay. I don't know who owned it, though. Um, uh, something simple. Something. There was there was a, an orange Volkswagen Rabbit. Yep. Um, all right. That was really clean and it was on like PBS RS style wheels. All right. And there was I think it's Bad Rabbit Habit has the baby blue one. Yeah, with a TDI swap. Yeah, yeah. it's got it's all full patinaed. All right. Um, that car was really neat. All right. Um, I do like that car a lot. Those are so. obtainable classics. Yeah, I like both those cars a lot. I mean, it's it's hard to pick one from the show. Uh, I did meet another guy who we've been like Facebook friends and like Instagram followers since the dawn of time. I think yeah. I feel like his name is um, Kelly Doak, and he has a second gen Celica in like a gray color on Watanabe's, deepest Watanabe's, and twin Webers and the whole nine. But it's a ratty car, just 
looks ratty, but mechanically it's all sorted. It was neat to finally meet him and see his car in person. Okay, so while we're on the topic of Radwood, because I have another car I want to ask you about, yeah. the Gold Starion. Yes. Kind of so, a tan Gold Starion. That's, the, that's my favorite Radwood story. Yeah, so the man lives in Phoenix, right. like Phoenix proper. He's originally from the Pennsylvania area. Mm-hmm. He heard about Radwood. He wanted to go. The next Radwood show after he heard about it was Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. So he said... I'm going to go to the Philadelphia show. I'm going to find a car, and I'm going to bring it there. So he went on Craigslist in the Northeast. Lots of people should do this. It's fun. Probably not in the Northeast, though. He went on Craigslist in the Northeast, and he found a 1988 um, Chrysler Conquest. There's a lot of Starion Conquests that survived around here, though. Yeah, because they were parked for the wintertime um, in kind of a sand beige color. Uh, Very similar to your talent, actually. Maybe a little bit darker. Um, So he... Bought the car, sight unseen, flew to Connecticut Mm -hmm. and bought it, Mm -hmm. drove it to Radwood, Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember looking at it. Yep. And then was nervous because it had an aftermarket oil pressure gauge that was reading low. It was probably not hooked up correctly. Uh, It was part of the problem, correct. Um, But still, he wasn't sure what was going on. Um, Said, well, it's do it or don't do it. I'm going to drive this car back to Phoenix. Mm -hmm. So he and his buddy got in the car, and they drove it from Philadelphia to Phoenix. Uh, he sorted out a bunch of, uh, for lack of a better word, ricer mods that were on the car. It had a blow-off valve, like a you know, vented air blow-off valve, and a mm-hmm. manual boost control that wasn't hooked up right, and all the stuff you don't want to do to a Conquest <laughs> was done to the car. So he sorted all that, got that all cleaned up, um, buffed the car out, cleaned it up really good, best he could, and it came out really nice, actually. Uh, and got the car ready to drive to Radwood, L.A. Cool. So now the car is the second bi-coastal Radwood car. Cool. Yeah. So And it's a Mitsubishi, which is an even cooler story. Further proving the people wrong that Mitsubishis can be driven reliably. Okay. <laughs> All right. And then the other car I was going to ask you about. So if we go back to the Hoonigan day. Yep. You were, you were, I saw you were talking to the guy with the Colt, the red one, the yes. Castrol stuff. Who's that yep. guy? Uh, Dennis Aquino. Yeah. Um, he's a big Toyota restorer yeah. in um, L.A., Yeah. Uh, but he's Filipino, mm-hmm. um, and people from the Philippines love their first-gen Lancers. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, the first-gen Lancer is the car of the official car of the Philippines. Um, it's kind of like what the Model T was to America in the you know teens, is what that Lancer was to the Philippines in the 70s, mm-hmm. because it was you know during an economic boom for that country. And it was a car that people could afford to drive. Right. And they sold them by the truckloads, by the boatloads over there in the Philippines. Everybody has a Lancer story over there. Cool. Um, so that's his, like, personal project. His car is, like, super cool looking. It's super cool looking. Yeah. Because it's, it's red, got, the it, flat black hood. Red, flat black hood, tops of fenders, and cowl. Yeah. Um, it has the same stripe on the side as the Lancer rally car's head. Yeah. But it's in white. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got... Giant driving lights. Two sets of lights in the front. It's got the giant 12-inch CB or C-Bay Super Oscars. C-Bay. C-Bay Super Oscars. And smaller ones below it. Um, It's got the period um, Galant GT steering wheel, which is the deep dish thicker steering wheel. Um, He has the the pretty rare um, Plymouth Arrow stereo. 
which is, it looks like, have you ever heard of the old super tuners? They had a big round gauge for the FM AM dial. Um, it was a Pioneer super tuner. Vaguely. It was designed like that in the 70s. Yep. Uh, he has that in the car. And just, the car is just perfectly period correct. Uh, he handmade this header for it. Um, and it currently has a stock but rejetted carburetor, but he will be changing that. Uh, and he cleaned up everything on the fender wells, you know, moved everything, hid everything. So it just looks, it's it's nice. Yeah. <laughs> and it's got uh, genuine watts in a 13 by 6.5. Nice. But they're like a little deep dish to them. And then the car just looks right. Cool. It's just, that was probably my car of the Hoonigan day just because it's a Lancer. And it was like, I saw the pictures of it. It was like right in the front. Yes. Like under the dock, yeah. Yeah, he he's friends with somebody there, obviously. Cause well, was next to, wasn't he with the wild card cars? It looked like one of them. Wild I don't know if it was a wild card car or not next to him. The, uh, that Hakusuka. But I, I think he does know those guys for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, there was a white and red Hakusuka that was parked next to him. Very, very cool. Super clean. Which, I don't know who the owner of that white um, Hako is, but uh, I had to stop a lady who was resting her purse on his hood. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Who had metal buttons in the bottom oh. of her purse. And I was like, hey, don't do that. This is why. And she was like, oh, okay. Clueless. There's like a cement pad behind her. Yeah. You could put stuff on. Yeah, I was pretty ticked off at her. <laughs> um, also, Conquest that we talked about. Um, yep. If you want to follow that car. Oh, yeah. What's the, uh, what's his it? Instagram is Ron LP. R-O-N-L-P. Very cool. So there's pictures of the car there. And his whole collection of cars. His wife has a mint CRX. That she also drove to Radwood from Arizona. So, but he's got a CRX. Said he had a buddy go with him that had a Capri. He also rode in with a guy with the Turbo Capri. It was like an eighty-five nice. Fox Body Capri, two fifty turbo. Uh, but yeah, he's got a CRX, an MR2, um, and a SN95 Cobra. So, or GT, one or the other. I think it's a Cobra. But that Ron LP nice. guy does. So he's got a cool rad collection. All right. I think that about uh, does it. Yeah, it was a good show. I enjoyed it a lot, as always. Well. Uh will be more frequent than taking huge breaks. <laughs> that wasn't yeah. the plan. It was only supposed to be a yeah. week. Well, this episode will be like a bonus episode because it's going to come out on a Monday. Right? Yeah. All right. And then we'll be back with our regularly scheduled episode on Thursday. That's right. Yeah. So, of course, follow us on Facebook, Auto Off Topic Podcast. Follow us on Instagram, Auto Off Topic. Follow me on Instagram, Raced in Anger. It's mostly pictures of rusty Subaru subframes and fixed ones. <laughs> Uh, fall Brad at TSISS350. Or I haven't posted anything in a while either. No, so you should post some more posting pictures. everything to the Auto Off Topic page. Well, split it up. Post yeah, some more. I will. All right. Keep cars analog and aim for the roses. <laughs>